Alrighty, this is According to Callus. Welcome, welcome. This is episode 197. And because I can't think of a better title, we're just going to go with Thursday Potpourri. So as some of you may be aware, there was an election last week. And as a result of the election, we have precinct conventions. And just so you know, the normal turnout is what I would call low. Uh, it's unlike when, I don't know, the great Dr. Ron Paul ran in 2008 and 2012. We, in my individual precinct, we had between 8 and 14 people both times. Of course, the precincts have changed up. People have changed. Demographics have changed. The counties changed. That being said, um, we had over 500 people show up in a combined precinct chair uh, convention was quite impressive, especially since it was the weekend before spring break for a good number of people. So the reason why I bring this up is this is the adage of a combination of the soapbox, i.e. people going and getting to speak their mind and participate in turning in submissions of resolutions or amendments to the party plank, as well as the actual voting box, right? You couldn't go participate in this if you didn't vote. Well, I suppose you really could, but it would be disingenuous, cheating, whatever. But this this is an opportunity to have your say in your party. And I've talked about this before. But before I go on, I want to put a special shout out Um to a friend of mine by the name of Amy. No, not my wife, Amy, but another Amy. Because without her, half a dozen people wouldn't be able to go and represent at the county level at the SDA convention. And those same people will still have an option to potentially go to the state convention, even though they missed the precinct convention because Amy showed up. She filled out the paperwork. I gave her a hand. It was my old precinct. So I had a vested interest in that. And I Went and visited several other precincts to make sure that people I knew that just couldn't make it for one reason or another were getting represented and they would get that opportunity and the protection, if you will, to participate in the SDA convention. And while we're on the topic, the convention, it's coming up on the 26th and I hope you get an opportunity to go. It's a way to see, I wouldn't call it government, but politics in action. Through the use of uh, Robert's Rules, which can be dry and uh, a lot of people complain about it, but it's really about protecting the rights of the minority people present. You want to make sure that the majority just doesn't plow through and ignore everything that is being said. They have a voice to be heard as well. And that is the advantage and the protections offered by Robert's Rules. So in the convention, we do our best to make sure that everybody gets heard. We have the vote and it's an up and down and done. Unfortunately, what I've experienced in the last four Senate district conventions that I've been to is people get tired or bored and they decide that they're going to call the question, i.e. end the debate before the majority of people are ready to end it. Now, the problem is, is if enough people leave, uh, you lose your quorum. 
and you can't be effective and you can't pass through all the business that needs to be done. The, the, uh, there is a legitimate concern there, but here's the thing. You have two years. You have to wait two years to go show up. So you invest a day, one full day in doing this, being heard, having your voice acknowledged. Without that, we have zero input on what the party does at the state level. I mean, and you can say, well, it's really only worth a couple percentage points. Okay, but elections are decided by eight votes, so a couple percentage points matters. The convention is an opportunity to be heard. It's an opportunity to stand up on that soapbox. It's an opportunity to be seen at the state level. And while we're on the subject of being seen, let's talk about what's been going on because we're not seeing anything about it. We don't really know what's happened. And there are a plethora of truckers that have descended upon Northern Virginia and D.C. proper. Now, it's not like the government didn't see them coming. It's not like they haven't made uh, changes and they haven't decided to kind of allow these people to come in and do their thing. And they're just going to bide their time. And hope they make a mistake and try and entrap them and make them look bad. And, you know, just conveniently enough, they're starting to lessen some of the restrictions that they've had out, uh, kind of trying to nullify the effectiveness of the uh, trucker's convoy. Now, you should know that without that, a good number of these restrictions would still be in place. But you can say what you want about our opponents, but they're politically savvy. They're smart. And they try and time things well and play it. So you gotta you gotta appreciate that. You mean you hate it all the same, but you gotta appreciate just how good they are. Because the general public, that would be a number of people that may even be listening to me right now, they buy it. They buy it hook, line, and sinker. And they go again and again to the same thing thinking they're going to get a different result, but that never happens. And while we're on it, <clears throat> I had a conversation earlier today uh, talking about the concept of the boxes. Now, I want to make sure I get it right. The uh, There's an adage about the, the boxes, right? We have various boxes we can use they're called the four boxes of liberty the four boxes of um, freedom various things so the first box if you will is the soapbox right and I've, I've i know i've touched on this before but it came up in a conversation directly related to these truckers directly related to the people that are protesting and it's important that you pause and consider what's happened thus far. So the soapbox, which would be your opportunity to go and speak about an issue or a concern um, for a brief shining period of time, it expanded exponentially and someone like me could be heard worldwide. And, I don't know, perhaps gain some serious traction, get some things done. 
the idea that uh, Ron Paul was able to run solid campaigns and, and let me get this correct. The great Dr. Ron Paul was able to run serious campaigns in 08 and 2012 with basically a shoestring budget. But boy, the people were doing the job. They were getting the word out and he was going out and preaching it off that soapbox, doing a great job. But they found a way around it, whether it was Romney, it doesn't matter. They did their best to silence. Now, he didn't go away. He's still doing a lot of good work. But they've muzzled him to some degree. And by muzzle, I just mean reduced his effectiveness. Now, we've got a great number of people that have stepped up to fill that void. I've mentioned their names a time or two. And they're running into the same problem. Whether it's social media, whether it's different apps, they're being throttled back. And it's, in, in it's I guess, the fascist model that's in place where government and private business are colluding together to tamp down people that speak out against what's going on, people that question the official narrative. So they've effectively removed a good deal of the soapbox. One side can be heard inside. In fact, one side is produced as propaganda on a daily basis and force fed to much of the populace. I would dare say most of them don't even realize it because they're too busy enjoying their soma, the bread and circuses, if you will. All right. So the next box would be the ballot box. Now, the reason why this is relevant is because those first two boxes are in play, both at the convention just and the, the truckers' protest, right? Those two boxes are in play and when they're nullifying your voting, right? Now, look, I know there's some of you that don't believe there was wholesale cheating. I know that some of you believe the fraud wasn't enough to flip the election. I know some of you believe that People are generally good and honest and they would never do anything like that. But let me just tell you, when there's raw power on the line, when there's an advantage to millions of dollars in your pocket, those same people, a certain percentage of them, they're going to flip. They're going to be willing to do the wrong thing. They're going to be willing to screw over their neighbor because they got theirs. And we don't know who those people are, certainly beforehand, and we may never know afterwards if you look at the results of Sleepy Creepy Joe getting 81 million votes, don't believe it, not in the least, or if you even look at the primary in Texas. Now, I mentioned this yesterday that Daniel Miller and a good number of other people are starting to question the narrative. Just how did we get these outcomes? They don't make sense. As a matter of fact, one candidate lost votes. Another candidate Ended up statistically tying an opponent. Highly unlikely. And to have multiple candidates statistically tie in multiple races just smacks of something going on. Now, I know Robert West is doing good work right now, sifting through all the evidence and is going to present a case. I know Daniel Miller is hiring people to go look into it. I know that there is another uh, couple of candidates that are looking for recounts or demanding 
to have an audit. Now you got to ask yourself, if you're looking at this and you see that the general election is in question, and now the Republican primary in arguably the most Republican state in the union is a mess, so now that's in question, have they not essentially nullified the effectiveness of the ballot box? It's a question that you have to ask yourself. Now, I was born and raised in the state of Wisconsin, and I never really assumed that there was a wholesale cheating going on. Although I've watched the results of the last several elections, and I got to say, as a native Wisconsinite, I am raising my eyebrows in disgust and despair to see what's played out there. It just doesn't make sense. They're behaving like they're Chicago. I mean, we all joked about it. We all understood what Chicago was, and this was Wisconsin. We're not like Chicago. We have nothing to do with this. But now that I'm a recovering Yankee and a Texan by choice, I'm really, really disappointed that the same garbage is going on here. Now, I know Landslide Linden, Landslide Linden, he pulled some shenanigans back in the 60s, and, you know, that was a different era and a different, you know, mindset and certain things were tolerated. But why would we tolerate that from our own people now? Why would we expect that our own team would be selling us out? It just doesn't make any sense. But why do we tolerate it? Why is it? So you know the soapbox is the entry level, right? And you've got your ballot box. I mean, you get to use it every couple of years or once a year, depending on where you're at. And after that, you have the jury box. Now, this to me is the most important. And, you know, I've talked about the fact that there's an organization called FIJA out there. And I've talked about the fact that I intend to bring them to McKinney. And I intend for them to educate a good number of people in our county. FIJA posits and they teach the theory that back when jury duty was set up, Everybody understood the jury had the right, the duty, and authority to not only judge the innocence or guilt of a man or a woman, but they got to determine whether or not the law was appropriate, or whether or not the law as applied was even legal, or whether or not they were just simply refused to convict the man because the law was garbage. And that ratchets it up a little bit because now you've got people openly dismissing a law passed. And I've got to be honest, some of these laws are passed and are all legal-like, but they're just wrong. And I, and I have friends that I've had this discussion with, and they're afraid. Oh, well, we can't have that. We can't have jury nullification. We'll have chaos. We'll have anarchy. Really? I don't think so. I think a lot of people would be very reluctant to utilize the jury box to nullify a law unless that law is just disgusting, just bad. And one prime example that is brought up over and over again is they refuse to convict in Wisconsin. They refuse to apply the fugitive slave law. And as a matter of fact, many of the southern states were very upset because of this nullification, because the juries wouldn't go along with that. They couldn't get their quote-unquote 
property back. And that bothered them. That upset them. Of course, they totally missed the point that it's repugnant to own another person. They totally missed the point that, you know, another man should not be owned by another man. I mean, that was the world they lived in. That was what was acceptable for eons. It was a uh, process by which we paid a huge price to get through that. But some of that might not have happened if not for some people that said, well, that's fine. You have a law, but that's a bad law. We're not going to enforce it. Again, they ratchet things up just a little bit more. Now, the idea is that you're supposed to use these boxes in order, right? That, that's that's kind of the punchline. The last box, I've heard it, you know, said multiple ways, either as the uh, ammo box or the uh, cartridge box. Now, they... They have talked about the idea that when you get to that point, there's no going back. The whole idea of armed conflict, it ought to give you pause. It ought to concern you. You ought to be fearful of that coming about. I mean, the deck is stacked against us for sure. The the idea that the only way we were going to fix it is to jump to that. But the reality is, if you have no other recourse, you're forcing people into that. You're forcing people to accept that. I don't think anybody goes out of their way thinking they want to do that. But yet, that's what's happening. And, and this is directly related to the trucker protest, right? These people are going there to protest. But I think they're going to be manipulated. I think they're going to be pushed into making a mistake. Much like the f- folks, you know, a year and a couple months ago, right? The January 6th event. Ooh, the quasi-insurrection that was manipulated, cajoled, and quite frankly, smacks of entrapment. But... The idea that people want to take up arms and fight their cover government, that people want to overthrow or kill people, is just not true. The vast majority of us would love to just go peacefully about our lives and not worry about what other people are doing. But the problem is we're not allowed to. The problem is When they take away the first three boxes, all you have left is that terrible recourse, the last resort. At that point, people are done talking. And I really, I don't believe we're there yet. I I certainly would not advocate that. And I've said that many, many times. it's, It's not anything that anybody should be happy about. It's not anything that somebody should be gleefully looking forward to. I wonder, I wonder 
what might be done to avoid that. I wonder how we can take a step back from the precipice that requires working together, that requires setting aside more petty political motives, that requires being willing to say, yeah, I guess we can work together on this or that or these few things because the alternative is far worse. The, The problem is that if we accept that we have no other choice, we're doomed to a cascade of negativity. Do you really think that those that manipulate events, no matter who you believe they are, no matter how you want to articulate it, the deep spate, the powers that be, whatever, do you really think they haven't anticipated this? Do you really think they haven't been waiting on this? Do you, do you think they haven't been pushing and tweaking and just waiting for somebody to react in a way so that they can crack down? Do you think they haven't considered that? Do you think that this isn't just part of their well-thought-out plan? You can call it a conspiracy or not. I don't really care. The events are playing out and somebody's predicted them. The actions taking place don't happen in a void. But how do we counteract that? We have to work together. We have to be willing to set aside the lesser issues and understand that, well, that moderate and I don't agree on this or even more challenging, that rhino over there really let me down. They were really a disappointment, but you know what? That's all we got. We have no other recourse. How can we make them do a better job? How can we back them up? How can we give them the spine they seem to be lacking? That's just at the representative level. Just think about this. The local law enforcement, right? The the uh, the Birchers run ads talking about how we want to support the local law enforcement and we want to keep them local. And I, I think it's a very good strategy. I think I would much rather have a guy that lives in the city that he patrols that is part of the community I think they're going to do a much better job. They're going to be far more concerned about what their neighbors think and what the people down the street think. And they're not going to overreact and they're not going to do bad things. But boy, if you're bringing somebody in from a different part of the state or even another state and you're giving them a badge and a gun and basically very few rules, I can't imagine how that might be a problem. It's just beyond my wildest imagination how that may occur. Of course, I'm being facetious here. Of course, I... I fully expect that there would be an enormous problem. But the fact of the matter is, is that's what happens. Not all the time, but just enough that it creates other problems. Now, I mean, we can make excuses for what happened after Hurricane Katrina. We can make excuses about how people overreact in a natural disaster. Sure. But what's our excuse for the overreaction during a pandemic? I know it's an emergency. The exigencies the of the circumstances required us to just disavow any rights and privileges that you as American citizens have. And you must comply or pay the consequences. 
yeah, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I understood. That's not what my oath says. But if we're working together and we know who the enemy is, if we're working together and we know what it is we don't want, I mean, we can all want slightly different things, but we're clear on what we don't want. We ought to be able to figure out how to set aside the other things so that we can get the larger goal. And I know there's a lot of folks that have ours after their name and they go into full panic mode whenever they see that Democrat over there. Oh, we can't let them win. We can't let them in there. They're going to sell us out. They're all kind of saying, well, you know what? There are, in fact, some quite rational, normal Democrats. Now, I'm not necessarily sure that I want them in elected office because they'd be susceptible to the same things that took out normal people with ours after their name. But there's no reason why those people can't be friends of mine. There's no reason why I can't work on a project with them. Ooh. There's no reason why we can't have cordial conversations. There's no reason why we can't discuss different issues and think about probable solutions, even though we don't necessarily agree on the solution as a whole, but maybe there's parts or pieces that we do agree upon. Maybe there's something that we can get done that benefits the general whole and everybody wins. Maybe we need to set aside the petty politics, the political angles, and look at what's really best for our community. Maybe if we were to just prioritize the important things, we wouldn't have to resort to using the last box. Now, I've, I've heard the term race Marxism. Race Marxism is a way to describe what CRT is. CRT was originally an obscure legal theory to explain how different things affected different groups of people in a different way. Perhaps it was co-opted or perhaps it was always the underlying um, premise of the argument, perhaps there were multiple people with different theories or different intentions involved in the situation. But what we have now is a political whipping boy, a straw man, if you will. You hear CRT and there's a, depending on what segment of society you're in and some people go into panic and some people get defensive and they say, well, but we're not teaching this. This isn't in the curriculum. And, and and this is why it matters. Because they're basically telling the truth. It's not being taught in curriculum. It's being demonstrated. It's being utilized as part of the praxis. As part of the formula of how you run the school. So they can lie to you directly while telling you the truth. They can be giving you the letter truth and violating it all over the place in spirit. 
But here's something to consider here. Some of those advocates don't know what's going on there. They don't see the bigger picture. They don't see some of the very bad motivations of the people that are proposing this. But what if we were to actually talk to them? What if we were actually willing to say, look, I will grant you your concerns, but this is not the solution that you think it is. This is not what you want. What if we're willing to just set aside that for a moment and be willing to talk to them? Be willing to say, yeah, some bad things happened. I can't apologize for what my grandparents or my great-grandparents or what my great-great-grandparents may or may not have done. I wasn't complicit in it because I wasn't there. I can't apologize for that either. As far as anything within the system, I don't know what you're talking about because when I look at the system, the people that think like me, they're not running anything. But let's say for the sake of your discussion, these things did happen in the past. These are problematic situations. Well, let's talk about how they are now. Let's talk about what is being done now. Let's talk about how do we address the real current issue. Instead of allowing both sides of this dichotomy to get played by our government masters. You know, the people what they are after the name, they go into full panic mode because somebody's talking race Marxism. Meanwhile, the, the people that are on the left of center, they refuse to talk to people because they're immediately taught that anybody that questions or doubts the sincerity of these beliefs must be a racist, bigot, whatever. But the reality is, most of that's not true. Now, I've read some of the literature. I've listened to some people talk about it. I believe there are people that are sincere that they want to address certain legitimate issues. And then I believe there's a lot of charlatans. I believe there's a lot of hustlers on both sides of this dichotomy. It's a great fundraising tool, don't you know? It's a great thing for manipulating people and keeping them fearful and increasing more government power. And this directly ties back to everything else I've been talking about. We have to know who our enemy is. We have to understand where the real problem is. And I can almost guarantee you it's not the guy down the road from you. It's not the lady at the library. Now, I don't believe in some kind of nebulous, you know, entity that wanders around and warps people's minds is directly at fault here. Not saying I don't believe that doesn't exist because it's pretty much how you might define Satan. But in the physical realm that we all understand and see, that's probably not the major motivation of a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are just plain hurt. And they need to be talked to. And this is one thing that's, I guess, directly related if you're not having a conversation with people, if you're not willing to listen to them, if you're not willing to hear out their concerns, are you really part of the community? Are you doing anybody a service? I, I suggest you're not. I think I've tied this all together fairly well. I just was kind of weighing on me today as I was 
doing my work and driving around. And then I got home tonight and I got to sit down and start looking at the resolutions and platform amendments coming for the SDA convention. And I couldn't help but think that a good number of those people have legitimate concerns and some are, well, let's say maybe a little more overblown or a little more uh, reactionary than I would be. But we're going to give them every opportunity to be heard. We want that discussion to happen. We want the people to feel like I've been heard and there is a solution or a action that we could take here to make a difference. That's important. That's part of the process. We can't fix anything if we can't go from point A to point B. So I think I've uh, successfully tied this up now. Uh, this is, according to Callus, as I say, this was episode 197, and this was just a little potpourri on a Thursday. I will see you on the other side.